0: In the past year, Kia America has experienced incredible momentum with a growing portfolio of innovative and award-winning vehicles. Moving forward, Kia is expanding to also usher in a new age of mobility for all. With the strength of a new logo, purpose, and business model, Kia is transforming itself into a symbol of innovation and sustainability. Kia is focused on becoming a leader in mobility and is charging ahead with electrification across their lineup, including the all-electric 2022 EV6, with estimated range of 310 miles depending on trim level and state-of-the-art 800V fast charge capability. But one thing will never change. Kia will continue to provide customers with world-class quality, design, and innovative technology at a great value. Inspiration is contagious. Just like Asian Hustle Network and its amazing network of entrepreneurs who have inspired many by committing to their purposes, Kia will do the same with vehicles inspired by world-class innovation. Kia, movement that inspires.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian.
0: And my name is Maggie.
1: And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals.
0: We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi everyone, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Sarah Nguyen. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Nguyen Coffee Supply, the first specialty Vietnamese coffee company importing directly from the source and roasting in Brooklyn, New York. On a mission to transform the coffee industry through diversity, inclusion, and sustainability, Nguyen Coffee Supply has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Vice, New York Magazine, New York Times, Forbes, Fortune, and honored with the 2019 Star Chefs Rising Star Award. Early January 2020, Imbibe Magazine featured Sarah Nguyen as one of the Imbibe 75 people, places, and directions that will shape the way you drink in 2020. She is a Gold House Collective founder for Spring 2020 Cohort, a leading network to celebrate and elevate the Asian American community. In 2021, Nguyen graced the July cover of Food and Wine as one of their 25 Game Changers. Sarah, we're so happy to have you back on the Asian Hustle Network podcast.
2: Hey fam! I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me again.
1: And for you guys that don't know, Sarah was actually our first podcast to kick off 2021 and she'll be the first podcast to kick off 2022. And she has done so much in 2021. We're so excited to like hop right into it. Sarah, what was, tell us about some of your wins of 2021 and like what was going through your mind during this like massive growth for your company? (laughs)
2: Oh my gosh. So so the wins. I have to gas myself up. Jeez. You know what's crazy? So we are sitting here right now. It's like December 2021. And I feel like this year has just gone by so fast that you're asking me to think about the wins this year and it all feels so far away. Like, I'm like trying to remember like what happened. And I'm like, okay, let me think about it. like, oh my God, like Drew Barrymore was this year, right? The Drew Barrymore show was this year. And that feels like so long ago, the Food and Wine cover was this year. Like holy shit, I can't. I still can't believe that happened, right? And it already feels like a distant memory. Good morning, America. What's this year?
1: Oh my god, we have to make you reflect on all your wins, and we want we want to hear more details into what was going in your mind and how these type of like events happened for you. Like what? How? how did did all fall into place? We just want to hear more yeah. about that. Right? Let's hear it. Let's hear it.
2: Okay. So great question. So you're absolutely right. I think one of the things I realized a lot this year is I need to really make more time to reflect and celebrate the wins, big and small. Like even like this year, we transitioned to like new packaging for our five pound bags, which is such a big win for us. Cause like as a small business, when you can transition from like stock white, white bags to like custom five pound bags, like, That's a big deal for us. It means we were able to meet an MOQ, you know, but we didn't even have a chance to really like celebrate that or announce that to um, the world. And so I, and things move so fast. I am constantly like, you need to really make time to acknowledge what's happening. Otherwise what's the point. Right. But more specifically, so yeah, just going back in the first half of the year, we had some incredible wins. Like we were on the Drew Barrymore show twice. We were on the cover of Food & Wine magazine. First like entrepreneur ever to be in the cover. First person in seven years to be in the cover. We were on tons of news media shows like Bloomberg and Cheddar News, and more recently, Good Morning America. So, to be totally honest, you all, from the first half of the year, I, I haven't had PR since like September of 2020 to like July of 2021 this year, right? So, Drew Barrymore, um, Food and Wine Cover, like all the press we've gotten in the first half of this year were all through inbounds. Like, Drew Barrymore is a social producer, just DM'd me. Someone from Food & Wine emailed my hello at inbox, right? Those are all just inbounds, and I was really um, just so touched, and it really spoke to the power of our story just growing and resonating to a point where people just reached out to us, right? And candidly, after the Food & Wine cover, I did bring on a PR team to support our growth during that time and also to support us into the holidays. But so much of how this happened really, I'd say, was just all the work we we built up in 2019 and 2020, so, you know, great PR can happen on its own, especially with today's social media. Like if you're doing your thing, telling your story, being authentic in a resonates with people like good PR can come to you on its own.
0: Wow. That is incredible. And, you know, if Brian and I didn't already say it, you know, we just wanted to say we are so, so incredibly proud of you. To the wholeheartedness, like we are so proud of you, and it's just so amazing to see all of the success for you. And when we saw you on the Drew Barrymore show, and like we saw you start posting it, and every everyone started talking about it, we it
1: like that immediately. Wow. We saw it like,
0: <laughs> we're just like, oh my goodness, this is such a remarkable like milestone you know for your coffee supply for the asian community for just like vietnamese coffee in general like this is this is telling so much you know just for the community and for like asian you know food and beverage and just the whole vietnamese coffee culture right and i i think it it speaks to so much volume what do you think made such a big sound in, in this whole thing. Like I think it, it is really telling a lot because I think a lot of people are starting to realize that there is so much authenticity in doing coffee supply. And a lot of people, we, we talked about this in the first episode with you as well on our podcast. A lot of people are starting to wonder like what's in my food and what's in my beverage. I want, know like the full transparency like where this is coming from right like how is it being made is it being made ethically right Mm. and I think it's telling a lot about like what our culture is starting to become what do you think made it so you know so big and like why do you think people are like trying to know more about it and Mm. why do you think all of these news sources like Good Morning America and Drew Barrymore show they're starting to reach out to you so suddenly and Mm. starting to wonder like you know what what it is about Vietnamese coffee that is so groundbreaking in this, in this I also time want right to now.
1: add more to that question too. What was your mental preparation coming on to like the big stage like that? Because I feel like the the way you made it sound is like it happened so quickly and so abruptly. Sometimes like I read your post to like less than a week notice. How did you mentally prepare yourself to like speak about this and like go on stage and be confident? It's, it's so scary in my mind. So I want to hear from your perspective.
2: Yeah, great question. So I'll answer Brian's question short, then I'll expand on yours, Maggie. So like technically, tactically, the way I prepare for the Drew Berman show, which is like my first national tele- televised tele- the way I prepare for the Drew Berman show, which is my first nationally televised, televised appearance, uh, which is very nerve- nerve-wracking for me because while I do a lot of speaking podcasts and media interviews, I've never done national TV. So I was super nervous. But the way I prepared for that was... Um, they did prep me with like a set of questions that Drew would potentially ask me. And so what I did was I just answered all those questions in my brain and I just kept answering and repeating, repeating, repeating the answers in my brain for days leading up to the interview and the filming so that when I was on set, it was already like muscle memory, right? But of course, once I got on set, Drew totally went off script, asked questions that weren't even a part of like the prep script or anything. But I think because I had mente preparing like my words and my values and my voice and my story, my perspective, things came out really naturally. Right. And, And to be honest, once I was up there with Drew, she was a great person to work with. She really is as down to earth and genuine as she appears. And I really felt like when I was up there, like the cameras kind of disappeared from me. And I felt like I was able to really connect with Drew on just like a human to human level. So the answers came out really naturally, right? So that's how I prepped technically, just repeating it over and over my brain to the point where like, it wasn't about memorization, but it was about like more muscle memory. Or, like I knew what I wanted to share, right? But I think longer than that, right? I've shared this a little bit in the past with my, um, some other interviews, but Part of my journey as a person, a storyteller, and a speaker is when I was in high school, um, one of the requirements in my public high school was this thing called public declamation, where every, in every class from seventh grade to 12th grade for every semester, they made you memorize a speech right? Or like a poem by like some dead white person. And they made you get in front of the class and declaim it, right? And when I was in seventh grade, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, I was terrified. I thought this, this, this like requirement was so mean because not everyone is, is equipped to do that. But what changed for me was in, in sophomore year, when I discovered activism, which you know a lot about, I, instead of choosing traditional poems, like things from like Robert Frost or Shakespeare or like Benjamin Franklin, I started choosing poems by radical poets, by radical like Asian American poets, like I was born with two tongues. And um, one of the, like, the 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 poems that I have recited um, was called this poem called "Excuse Me, America," which talks about like racism in America from the Asian American experience. And once I started using like radical poetry to declaim, first it was like pretty controversial with my teachers because like they had never seen that before. But that's when I actually found my voice, and I loved doing that so much, like talking about racism so much as a young person. I went from doing it as a class requirement to competing in the school wide public declamation where you had to like memorize a poem or a speech and then go into the auditorium go on stage and declaim it to the whole like school, right? So I did that in high school. Um, And so I'd say that like my journey to speaking, whether it's here or to TV, um, has been like a really like a lifelong journey.
0: Yeah. Should I answer Maggie's question now? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I just Um, wanted to say, like, I love that you mentioned how like True Bramer was so warm and welcoming because that matters so much, you know, like when I as much as I prepare and I'm like reciting the answers in my head, they always ask different questions, obviously. And that like that trips you up so bad. But it yeah. really matters that the, the person that, that who's, who's interviewing you is like very warm and welcoming. So yeah. I love hearing that Drew was was like that because it matters so much.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think another just building off of that, Mike. I think another piece is just like. Just speak the truth, speak from your heart, you know, because when you speak your truth, you don't actually need to memorize that. I think often we want to memorize for like clarity or we want to memorize to keep it within like three sentences. But ultimately, regardless of you're on TV, on the stage, if you're just speaking your truth, it's going to come out like, right. You know, exactly. Right. And so that, but that requires you to know your truth and to know what you really believe in. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But to go back to your question, Maggie, about like, what do I think it is? That's really kind of creating this rapid fire, you know, um, connection story. I, I think anyone who engaged with our brand when coffee supply, they know that, yes, it's about Vimy's coffee. It's specifically about the bean and the origin the communities and the farmers. And it's about so much more than the coffee bean, right? It's about this culture that we want to create that's really rooted in, in promoting diversity, inclusion, and cultural integrity, right? I think these values are values that a lot of people, regardless of, their, of whether they're in coffee or not in coffee, whether they drink coffee or don't drink coffee, they can relate to, right? There's so many communities in this country in this world that have felt underrepresented, that have felt um, excluded from the status quo, that have felt underappreciated, that have felt rendered invisible, right? And because our mission seeks to create a world that like really uplifts visibility, representation in general, whether you're beating these or not, whether you're a to being or not, I think those are the values that really resonate with the wide audience and I think that's why so many people easily come on board with our mission. And then eventually our brand.
1: I love that. I love that a lot, Sarah. I, I agree. There's so many people that resonate your brand and I kind of hope that we can start talking about how we pronounce the new in Vietnamese wing coffee supply. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, fellow Vietnamese. So I'm kind of curious too, because, you know, we see a lot of rapid growth, not only from your personal growth level and your brand level. We also watch your team kind of grow in number as well in, in terms of your hiring. Mm-hmm. How has that posed a challenge for you as you're scaling up your company? Because right now it's like we're going through a lot of different things, right? The pandemic, the great resignation, you know, people are now quitting their jobs and recruiting super hard. Like how have you been able to overcome those challenges and continue hiring the right people? And how has been the hiring process for you? Like,
2: yeah, great question. Just for some content if you're listening. Our team today, we're currently six full-time, that includes myself, and then it's seven part-time in a production facility. I think when we started, last time we did this podcast, it was like two full-time, and then maybe like two or three in our production. So we more than doubled. And I'm really proud to say that our full-time team is 50% women, 50% men, and we're 100% POCs, Asian Americans, and then are a production team of seven part-time people where we're about 77, 78% PLCs and 71% women. So we're like a women dominant team across the board. And so how has hiring been? Hiring is difficult for a lot of reasons. Um, I'd say first for us as a small business, we have very limited resources. So oftentimes I feel like we can't hire like um, the most expensive people, whatever that means, right? Which is fine for us because we really enjoy working everyone on the team has is really hard right but when it comes to just like what is our competitive pay in like the market? Are we in the 50% percentile, like 75 percentile, 100%, right? We're not in that top percentile. So we try to, you know, make, try to like boost, you know, we try to create a compensation package that is equitable and fair that includes, we offer health insurance now, uh, we offer a wellness stipend, um, we offer a solid salary and we make salary adjustments everywhere we can. And we also offer equity for different parts, different members of the company, depending on their experience and stage level. So I think like economically it's hard because a lot of the startups out there are like VC funded or they like, they have lots of money so they can like hire, they can pay a lot, right? Pay a lot more than us. But I would say the thing that, That's been a little bit challenging, but I'd say the good thing about us is that we are able to attract um, really passionate people and people who are really, really, they really want to be a part of our mission and they really um, bring their their full selves to elevating and and uplifting the mission. So for and I think that's something that we uniquely offer as a company. I, I think what we offer as a company in terms of the mission, the ability to make impact in the world, the ability to change the world, the ability to be a part of a successful or growing you know, company is something that's really attracted to a lot of people. So, as people are like going through the re- great resignation, leaving companies where don't, they don't feel fulfilled, or leaving companies where there's like limited growth opportunity, I think we offer that, right? So, it's a trade off in every situation. But I think as we think about you know 2022, you know, we want to grow more. We want to grow our bandwidth more. We want to grow our team more. For me, one of the challenges I think through is. How do you grow when you're intimate? Like everyone is really, really tightly aligned, right? It's just easier that way. As you grow and expand, your your net kind of widens, and so how do you kind of like keep the mission, the culture really tight as you expand your team? So that's a challenge that I'll be looking forward to in 2022.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great problem to have to be honest to to like figure out culture, but that is also a very big problem for a lot of founders too. It's like your startup phase, being a startup CEO versus like being a mature CEO is a completely different mindset. And you have to notice like different nuances of how you how you make decisions can affect the entire team. You, know, you can't, it can't just move so quickly that it's like, whoa, everyone's caught off guard. You know, can you imagine catching like 50 or 100 people off guard? You have to be fully aware of the ramifications of your decision. So we're super excited. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have you back on at the end of 2022 to see what that process is like. And again, as you said before, we love to continue having you back year by year from Sarah now to Sarah the Unicorn, you know?
2: <laughs> You're so sweet. Oh my gosh. Yes, manifest.
1: Yeah. So speaking, Ryan, of- I want to add can yeah. I add
2: to that? Because you maybe think of something in terms of sure. team and hiring. Sure. Oh, that's insane. Sorry, you were speaking and inspired a thought. Team and hiring expanding. Oh, the other challenge that I experienced through hiring that I'm constantly working through is how to find the right people for the role, right? And it's not just the right people for the role, but it's also the, the the right people for the environment of the startup, right? And I try really hard to communicate the realities of a startup when I'm interviewing people, especially for the full-time um, roles, right? Because you know that we live in a time right now where startups are super sexy, everyone wants to be part of a startup, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, everyone wants to be in this startup world. And yes, there are lots of, it's always a trade-off, Right. However, startups are very, very difficult environments, and oftentimes you don't realize how difficult it is until you're in it, and it's really hard. And I try to manage with expectations by communicating it, but sometimes you don't know what to do in there. And this is why startup environments are very difficult. One, startups are fragile. Like you mentioned, Brian, we're not a mature corporation of a thousand people where if someone doesn't do anything for three weeks, no one's going to notice, right? But if we have five people and one person doesn't come through with something, that's 20% of our output, right? And because startups have a limited runway, our startup has a limited runway, right? We're not infinitely um, funded. If we don't come through, startups will die, right? And that is just the reality of a startup. That's why it's so difficult. And so for me as a leader, one of the things I'm also managing is like, how do you build like, you know, a work-life culture that is healthy and sustainable and is real about the fact that we do need to push ourselves, right? I don't want to seem, I don't ever want to seem like a slave driver, you know, like, or like. Like I don't want to promote hustle culture. That's not it. You know, we everyone gets plenty of time off with weekends. We have an unlimited PTO policy now. We have a wellness stipend now. We're really flexible with time off for testing and COVID. You know, we don't penalize people who take time off for testing. Even with our part-time team, we pay we we pay people for sixty minutes of timed breaks, scheduled breaks to make sure they take their breaks and it's paid, so they don't feel like I don't need a break. I don't want to lose money, right? So we do our best to promote, um, you know, a healthy work culture. And I, I believe that in order to grow, especially in startup environments, you have to be uncomfortable. You have to push yourself to the edge to know how far we can grow and how much we can develop, right? It's just kind of this weird balance of managing the expectation with people of like, yes, you have to work hard here. You know, we're not going to work you to the ground, right? However this isn't like a totally zen environment that just it's not possible here because if it's super zen then like we may not survive right so it's like that balance like we do need to push we need to push ourselves because it's through discomfort where we grow and how do we sustain as well you know what i mean
1: you know exactly what you mean
0: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, right
1: (laughs) fellow founders ourselves uh, in a very fragile early stage startup we know exactly what you mean and i guess speaking the subject more regarding like you know there's Obviously, never an in like infinite amount of funding right now. There's, I mean, I I even believe that even a big corporation that can all still fail, right? So, with that with that topic in mind, it's like I'm kind of curious too. Like, how has the Asian community supported you? Because I saw recently that you know you received extra funding from Python Fund, you know yeah. Asian, Asian American organization. What was what was it like going out and fundraising? I assume this is the second or third time compared to last time it's we talked? Third
2: time, but they're they've all been pretty relatively small rounds. Um, yeah. I'd say a third effort I'm going out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What was that what was the entire process like? Is it still as draining as yeah. the first time and second time you're like, Oh, here we go again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And how much time have you given yourself to fundraise this time or was it very organic? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So we, we haven't actually publicly announced our round yet, but I, I can talk about it um pretty vaguely. It was definitely the third time I fundraised and it was the most intense round. It was the most difficult round because the company is a little bit bigger. Our goals in forward are bigger. So, you know, the pressure, the stakes are higher. Right. And it was not organic. It was a very, very aggressive, intentional fundraising effort um, because I started like in the summer. I had to wrap it by early October because I needed Q4 to fully focus on operating, right? One of my challenges as a solo founder is that I have to fundraise full-time and also operate full-time. And at that time, it was just me and four four full-time other people, right? So I'm still very, very deep in the trenches. Like I don't get to just like go off and fundraise and like assign it to like a co-founder, right? To operate. Sometimes some people have that arrangement, So it was really intense for me. And the thing about the reason why it it was very aggressive was because I knew that I wanted to close around within two to three months, right? In order to close around within two to three months, you have to basically just like get all your meetings in as quickly as you can. Like, so I was having maybe like seven to 10 meetings a week just for investors. And then that, and then I have all my meetings for internal team operations, vendors, distributors, sales, you know, strategizing all these things. Right. So it's like seven to 10 fundraising meetings a week because you want to stack them so that when you have a follow-up meeting in the next week or two, people will ask, how's it going, right? If you have no progress, then you lose momentum and then they lose like momentum. So every time I meet up with someone, I want to be able to say, oh, well, we're like 25% subscribed now. Oh, we're 50% subscribed now. Oh, we're 75% subscribed now, right? And you can only get the momentum if you stack every meeting as as um, urgently as you can, right? So I I honestly, when I closed my round, um, it was the the first Friday of October, I think it's October 8th. I felt like I just ran a marathon and I collapsed on the ground and like I could not breathe. Even leading up to that week when I was closing, I had a lot of anxiety around closing because I wasn't like 100% there. I was maybe like, 80% Eighty percent there, but you know I want to I want to close it and I want to be more. I want to be oversubscribed. I had a lot of anxiety that week because I told everyone this is the last day, right? And I and then it wasn't until like that last day where I like met my goal. and went over my goal, but leading up to it, I remember that week leading up to it. I had so much anxiety. I was like locking, like my jaw was like getting really tight. And I was like so tense. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was getting headaches cause from all the tension. And then I also like found myself very short breath throughout that week when I was talking to people and being conversation, like I would catch myself not breathing. Um, this is how intense it was. And then when I closed, it felt like I collapsed on the ground for marathon. And I also knew that I was probably approaching burnout right? It's like the first week of October, I was so mentally drained and exhausted from fundraising and doing operating PR, all this stuff, um, running the company still. I I was looking forward towards Q4, which is our busiest month of the year. It's our biggest sales season as well. And I was like, I don't think I can do Q4 if I don't take a break, right? I was like, I mentally, I can't use my brain right now. It, It feels drained, depleted. And so two days later i booked a trip to paris for four days like i took thursday friday off and then saturday sunday was a break and that was like literally my mental health break because if i didn't take that break i think i would have been really fried and burnt out and i don't think i would have finished the year at all so yes but to answer your question brian about the community specifically this round we have a stellar stellar cap table i'd say it's um our cap table is majority Asian Americans, which I love to see. Um, Hyphen Capital is a huge supporter of ours. The Asian community in general, whether they're um, behind the scenes or our community publicly, they've all been super supportive. And so, really excited. One day, I will share a story about like our fundraising our cap table publicly, and it's going to be about how I'm building a really diverse cap table, right? And how I'm building a diverse cap table filled up Asian Americans, women, um, women bosses, CEOs, and you know the full gamut um but maybe that's for the future (laughs) podcast
1: definitely give yourself a huge pat on the back oh Oh, my my goodness oh yeah your story brought back our own ptsd a fun
0: Oh, no, I was going to say, like, just hearing you mentioning that, like, I remember when you had taken a trip and I am so, so glad that you did because we knew how hard you were hustling. Right. But like, no one knows how painful the behind the scenes is actually like, because we we rarely talk about that. Right. And like, you know, we we didn't know that you were going through that. Right. But we just saw like how hard you were hustling. And I had a
1: feeling you were going through that.
0: Yeah, we had a feeling you were going through then when you went on vacation. I remember I think there was probably like an out of office message that you had that was saying, like, I'm not replying. I'm going to try not to reply to messages during this trip. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy that she's doing that. And it's so good that you actually were aware that you needed that break, because that's that usually that's that's all we need. Right. And I'm so glad that you took that break for yourself.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for feeling me and empathizing.
1: Of course, so we're so excited to have you back on the podcast because you have a wealth of experience of you know things you went through in the last couple months. And for you guys listening, fundraising is a very emotionally draining process. It's very tiring. It's very anxiety filled. And the part when you're like, my mouth was dry. I think my mouth was pretty dry as well when we were fundraising. And I know the anxiety you felt when you described like the last day of like, holy fuck. Why isn't no one like sending you the money right now? What's going on? You have to ping them message them. You're like, okay, this is a closing date. And then you're oversubscribed. Now this is a great problem. where'd where I fit everyone else? You know? <laughs> so that, that feeling was like, man, like I know exactly what you mean. I saw earlier yeah. I mentioned like you had to your guys, two people listening to this podcast. Give yourself a timeline too. Like, you don't want fundraising takes a lot longer than you think. And it's a lot more emotionally draining than you think. So you don't want yeah. to carry on for like a year or two years. Just give yourself a, a time period and go super hard on it. You yeah. know?
2: Agreed. Yeah. I think it's a great tip. It just it just even I want to clarify out of everyone I talked to, I'd say out of the, the total number of people I talked to, I'd say at least 75% of them rejected me. Right. And so this is the part that we don't talk about enough. The mental and emotional turmoil and struggle and the work that we have to do internally to work through that rejection after rejection after rejection, right? There are days where I where I like four rejections would come in in a row that the day and it's like one after the other. And um, you have to work. There's a lot of work that we have to do as founders to work through that. You cry, you feel shitty, you feel small, you feel rejected, you feel frustrated at the system that just like doesn't believe in women entrepreneurs, all of it. You know, you have to work through all of it in order to keep going to get towards that We because people only hear about the clothes. They only hear about the yeah. amount that we raise, whatever. But over 75% of my conversations rejected me, you know, and it's a lot of work to work through that. But, you know, it's part of the journey, I guess.
1: Well, you're done now, Sarah. So you're, you're done for, for,
2: a, for a little while.
1: We're six more months <laughs> It never ends.
2: Horrible. This is the
1: worst. (laughs) Um, One thing I want to highlight, too, your trip to Paris, you actually got engaged.
2: Yes, my mental home break turned into an engagement.
1: Oh, my goodness. Congratulations on that. Thank
2: you. That was a total surprise. That was a total surprise because I had booked it so last minute, right? Like I mentioned, and, and Eric's, like, planned it after I told him oh I booked us this trip because I need a mental health break and so he like hustled and got everything together within three weeks like the ring arrived um in Brooklyn to us like oh just God. a few days before we flew out yes yeah, so it was a very last minute um proposal I was super surprised and it was it was really really great
0: oh my gosh we're so happy for you and Brian and I for all listeners Brian and I actually met Eric's once in New York city when we took a trip yeah. to to New York and it was such a great experience. I kind of want to talk about Eric's too, because I mean, he was, he He's was so such, supportive like, of you. A, he is and he was like yeah. such a breath of fresh air when we had met him like I love his personality and like just his warmth and he's kind of on like the background like the behind the scenes I don't think he like really speaks on camera a lot you know but he you can tell like he is so supportive and he is such like an immense support and like success to your company as well yeah. I want to talk yeah. about like the relationship that you have with him too like obviously you guys are business partners and you guys are fiancés now talk about that relationship And like, how have you guys been like supportive of each other and how has that relationship worked out for you guys?
2: Oh, thank you so much, Maggie, for bringing it up. Because, yes, Eric's is, you know, an incredible um, asset to the team, to the company, um, to my life. Like he truly is my partner. And I feel really lucky, you know to have Eric's in my life as a partner, cause he, he's not just like my personal life partner, but he really is like the closest thing I have to a co-founder. Like I'm so grateful. I often say that as a solo founder, if I didn't have this level of intimacy with Eric's where like I talk to him about everything that happens in the company. I talk to him about everything I go through, whether it's an investor story or, you know, a production story or, you know, um, a supplier story. He he, Eric's is like my number one confidant, and, he, and what's great is that he supports me mentally and emotionally because we are able to have these conversations. Um, so, that in itself is a huge lift from, I mean, huge um, support for me. So he supports me in that way, mentally, emotionally. Um, he's like my trusty confidant. We often go back and forth. I, I run a lot of my ideas between him. If I'm unsure about something, I'll, you know, like uh, talk it out with him. And then um, professionally, logistically, Eric's is a full-time member of the team. Um, you know, he's, we've been together since pre-launch. So he's really seen me build this company up just as an idea. And he has offered so much of his volunteer labor in the early days, um, in the first two years of the company. He was in there with me, you know, helping me rose, helping me package, helping me bring, um, you know, shipments to the post office, help me do everything. Right. So I'm very, very lucky to have such an involved partner. And today he's our full-time, he's a full-time designer. Um, so it's great that we're working together and, um, and I feel like as the company grows, um, we he just continues to support me, and I have to think I continue to support him as well in his personal and professional goals. And but yes, um, this level of partnership is really, really unique and special and powerful. And I, like you said, Maggie, so much of my success professionally, mentally, and emotionally has been because I have had such a supportive and involved partner as
0: Eric's. I love it. I love seeing your relationship grow and just like watching your Instagram stories of you two getting coffee every morning and just like walking the streets of, of New York. It's like, I wish I was there with them because uh, I love seeing your guys' stories of you guys together. It's just so, so, so for sure. Yeah. Oh, so sweet. Thanks guys. We have a lot of fun
2: together. I'll say that after like four or five years, like we still have so much fun together, which I'm really grateful for.
1: I mean, I'm so happy for you guys. I can't wait to I'll be off the podcast. So we we'll double date some more, you know? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about like your involvement with the Asian American community, especially towards the end of the year. I know you just, you guys just came back from, what is it, the Unforgettable Gala? Like oh, what was that? So what was that experience like to see the like, Asian community come together and celebrate each other's success? There's so many notable notable things this year, like Shane Chi and watching your mm. brand blow up, watching Sanzo blow up, shout out Sanzo. You know, mm. you guys are just killing it. So like what was that experience like?
2: It was incredible. It was oh my gosh, I just I'm still processing it. There was just an abundance of love and joy and support and enthusiasm for each other for everyone in that room right so on the hand on the end of like celebrating the accomplishments of asian americans through film and media tv just being able to witness that moment and witness all the honorees and just reflecting on all of like the major strides we made in media was so cool to see and so inspiring to just reflect on how far we've come as a society through culture and media, right? Um, and just seeing how much more diverse representation the Asian community is getting and just knowing that that level of representation is only going to grow um, was really, really incredible and just so fulfilling to, to experience. And then there's the place of like being there with like all of like my Asian American CBG founder friends, right? So some context, Sandro from Sanzo. Um, shout out to Sandro sponsored a community table at the Unforgettable Gala and he invited all of us to join him in this table, right? So. A bunch of us in CPGs like Santa from Diaspora Cove, Vanessa from omsom Jeremy from Um Nectar, um, Carol from Maku, then myself from One Coffee Supply, um, and, and a few other folks of his friends. And that was like really special. And I think that's really indicative of our generation of founders where we we genuinely operate from abundance because you know, Santo could have easily just gone to the table and be like, I'm out here, only Santo's here, like none of y'all are here, right? But He didn't do that. He got a table. and He brought us to the table. And I think that as, in all us founders, we're part of the Gold House Network, right? We've all been through the Gold Rush program. Myself, Samzo, and Babai Jing were part of the same year, same cohort. And then An Song was a part of the cohort after us. Um, But I think Carol is actually part of my cohort too, but we were the COVID cohort, so we didn't get to meet. But anyways, so we've, As founders, we've always supported each other. Like, I think that's really special about our generation. And then Jing and Jing also sponsored people that was right next to us. So it was so cool for all of us to be there together. And I think one of the really unique and powerful reflections that came about from Unforgettable Gala that Andrew Chow from Boba Guys had mentioned, like, you know, I was you know at the Unforgettable Gala. Like the title sponsors were clearly like Lexus and Remy Martin, right? And thinking about how like these businesses sponsor these opportunities for stories to be told on screen, right? Like how do movies get made? We need EPs. We need sponsors. We need fiscal sponsors, right? And I think there are corporations, maybe McDonald's, maybe Pan Express, that could help sponsor. But then I was like, oh. I see Lexus up there. One day that'll be one coffee supply, right? Like, like one day, oh Remy Martin, like that. That'll be Stanza one day. Like, like we'll all be like, we can all be like the title sponsors one day, right? As we grow, and it, it makes me think about this connection of like, how consumer brands like one coffee supply shape culture currently through our work of coffee and storytelling, and as we grow, how we can redistribute our capital to further influence and shape culture, whether it's through sponsoring film and media projects or sponsoring scholarships and fellowships or sponsoring accelerators or sponsoring you know the next generation just thinking about the connection of commerce and products and stories and culture i at the unforgettable gala was just so inspiring and it made me think about the power and the role and the influence that we all get to play in shaping our futures
1: that is that is absolutely amazing. And there's no doubt that I, I can already see that already. When I saw you guys at the event, I was like, there's no doubt that we're the next wave that's gonna rise up. Right. Yeah. And there's no I'm not there's no shade to like Lexus or like Hennessy. And and no shade at
2: all. I love uh, them.
1: But it's our it's our time. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way I think. And Sarah, I'm kind of curious too, like, what are your big goals for twenty twenty two? What do you hope to take new in coffee sure. supply?
2: Oh my gosh, I do have some announcements which I should leak to you all first when we announce it. For 2022 we are we have some really exciting product expansion in the pipeline some product expansion we've teased already on our social media both my personal and the company but that's probably going to be that's the biggest thing for next year um product expansion which hopefully you all can help me break when we get there so new product expansion meaning new ways for people to enjoy Vietnamese coffee and then also one of our other goals in 2022 is to grow our retail presence more in the next year. Up until now, we've been, we've always been primarily e commerce and direct to consumer. And that's still a really big part of our business model. But as we think about the future, you know, specifically next year, we do want to grow more into retail, groceries, supermarkets to kind of round out the customer shopping experience and because the strategy was to really build awareness and community through digital platforms and also coincided with the pandemic which worked out um, and now we want to expand our product offerings in 2022 but also our access in 2022 um,
0: namely retail well we're so excited for all of your upcoming plans and you know you're definitely changing perceptions about Vietnamese coffee and Robusta coffee and you've really brought more diversity to the brewing culture by, you know, elevating your feed and filter. And for all our listeners, please check out Sarah's um, feed filter with a coffee supply. It's amazing. And just all of her, her coffee blends are all amazing as well.
1: Shout out to Sarah for supporting our mother land. So Sarah and I are both Vietnamese. <laughs> I think a lot of people no, forget that I'm Vietnamese, but oh, I'm, yeah. you did a great job of holding it down for us. Thank you, Sarah.
0: <laughs> that's true a lot of people forget that the <laughs> but i just love what you're doing for you know the vietnamese culture and just you know vietnamese coffee in general um so we're very very excited for all of your plans for the next you know five to ten years in the foreseeable future so sarah we have one last question for you and that is if you could give one advice to someone who is trying to start a business in let's say you know just anything in regards to like food and beverage that relates to the Asian culture and wants to put more transparency into their product, um, wants to, you know, get their name out there to really like elevate the Asian American community. What would that one advice be? If you could just pin it down to one advice.
2: Specifically to Asian American products. Um, that is a tough specifically, question. Specifically <laughs> to transparency. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to like transparent
1: what the mission is, and yeah. especially like a very culture-based product. And I feel like you're doing it really well, Sanzo, Fly by G. It's very culture-based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How can that be more transparent? And what, what advice we have for like a founder in that really niche field? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Um, that's a great question. I'd say the one thing that's coming to mind that I would encourage me holding on is what story do you want to tell, right? And I think this relates to an earlier question of like, why is when getting so much media attention? Why does it resonate? I, I I really believe it's because we have a really clear and strong story for what we want to tell about Vimy's coffee, the robusta bean, but also promoting a culture of diversity, inclusion, and representation. Right. So when it comes to maybe like a culture-based product, figure out what story it is that you want to tell, and my advice would be, you know, go really deep with that story. Be really, really specific and genuine and authentic and find a way where it's a story that only you can tell, right? So you can tap into your unique perspective and experience as an individual. And then the kicker is, Can you find a way to flesh out that story through broader themes that would resonate with the wider audience, whether or not they're Vietnamese, right? Whether or not they're Asian American, right? I think that's the sweet spot. You don't want to like you know, blanket or generalize your story where it's like you have no story, you have no depth, right? But it's like kind of finding that sweet spot where you're going really deep and telling a unique story that only you can tell, but then extracting the layers of the themes that can be relatable across a wide audience, right? I think that's a really, really um, nuanced key to success that we're still figuring out because that way you can maintain the integrity of your product and your culture. But also if you want to build, you know, an expansive business, you can find a way to connect your culture and the integrity of it to a wider
0: audience as well. I love it. That is amazing advice, Sarah. Thank you so much for sharing that. It was awesome having you back on our podcast again. And for our listeners, Sarah was also featured in our Asian Hustle Network Uplifted book. It's called Uplifted Journeys, Abundance, Community, and Identity, where you can read all about Sarah Nguyen's story story um, in one of the chapters. And feel free to pick up a copy if you want to learn more about Sarah's story. And just wanted to thank Sarah again for coming back onto our podcast. We had an amazing time just hearing about your story again.
2: Oh my gosh. I love hanging out with you both. So thank you for having me. And I can't wait to do again soon and
1: IRL too I know we can't wait to do that in person for reals but anytime <laughs> you guys are in New York please stay safe stay safe stay, stay, stay out you. there
2: we
1: will thank you so much all right
2: thank you
0: Sarah thank you Sarah thanks fam
1: bye hey guys we hope you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show
0: we would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes so be sure to leave us a five-star review we release an episode every single Wednesday so stay tuned
1: thank you guys so much